What makes for good design and architecture? Is it a house or a building of a particular style? Is there a certain level of craftsmanship required? Do you have to pay a certain amount of money to have good architecture? In this episode, I'll discuss what I feel is important to creating good architecture and design. Welcome everyone, this is Chris Novelli, Principal Architect at N3 Architecture, and welcome to the Home Design Academy podcast, where I help people understand design and construction so that they can make better decisions on their projects and communicate more effectively with their architects and contractors. So today we're going to be talking about what makes for good design and what makes for good architecture. In my opinion, it's not really about style. I mean, everyone has their own tastes, and who am I to say that someone's individual preferences are inferior? With that said, there are certain exceptions. Anything that's fake or ostentatious or so obviously out of context is bad. And you may even be asking yourself, why is good architecture even important, and why should I even care? Well, you're going to want to listen to the end because there's lots of good things here for you to consider. First off, let's talk about some of the benefits to good architecture and design. Some of the benefits you might not already know of, and some you may never even have considered before. First off, beauty and variety or quality of life. Imagine if every building was the same or made of the same style, and how depressing an environment that would be to live in. I mean, you can just look at any classic bad example of American suburb or any post-war Russian social housing to, to know what I'm talking about. Your health and the health of the people that you love is another benefit to good architecture, as good architecture will promote a healthier indoor environment. Economics. For a business, good architecture and design can improve efficiency, it can improve productivity, and it can improve and enhance customer experience. And environment, good architecture will use less resources. So Vitruvius, the Roman architect, famously wrote sometime in the year 30 BC that good architecture is defined by three characteristics, firmness, commodity, and delight. So firmness would refer to the quality of construction and the durability and how long it will last. Commodity that it should be useful and function for the purpose it was designed for. And then delight, which is often translated to read beauty, that is an aesthetic quality which separates a work of architecture from something that is utilitarian. And much of what Vitruvius wrote remains true today, but I'm going to add to this list. So here is my list of what makes for good architecture. And number one top priority is the need for good clients. Yes, clients, it all starts with you. To create good architecture, you must have good clients. Clients that are willing to spend time and spend money. There has to be an effort on the client's end and appreciation. I mean, and when I talk about about spending money, that doesn't mean it has to be a substantial amount of money. Good architecture can be achieved on any budget. But if you're goal is to build as cheaply as possible and to save every nickel, then I can tell you right now, you are not going to 
create good architecture. And if that's your main goal for building your house, your house will not be considered a piece of good architecture. But being a good client goes beyond money. Having an open and inquisitive mind rather than coming into a project with a preconceived notion. Being part of the process. Some people may disagree, but I love it when my clients get involved in the design process. The sharing of thoughts and opinions and bouncing ideas back and forth and testing new things often leads to unexpected results. Also, the client's ability to stand up and advocate for yourself. I don't ever want to be in the situation where a client doesn't like the design or part of the design that I come up with and they just don't speak up and just live with it. And I understand that sometimes people may f- not feel confident or feel like they don't know enough to, to question their architect. And if that's you and you don't like something or don't understand something, just ask the question why. I mean, oftentimes an architect will make dozens of small decisions to come to a result on just one little piece of the design. And as the client, you may not understand all of these little moves and you just see the final result. So ask why. Ask your architect why they did something. And if your architect isn't enthusiastic about explaining it to you, then maybe you need to find a better architect because I love when my clients ask me, why I did something because it it shows that they're involved in the process and it allows me to explain further. And when they have a greater understanding of why I did something, then they have a greater appreciation of the, the piece of architecture or the house or the building or the restaurant. And as a client, you also need to know that architects will generate multiple options And the number of options and the number of designs varies per project, but the first idea idea is generally not going to be the best. Design and the process of design is a conversation between the client and the architect. Just as a great song or a great novel can't be written in one sitting, great architecture is the result of an iterative process. It's about testing an idea, debating it, trying something else, so on and so forth until the final solution is reached. And for clients, not being a jerk is also up there on the list for what makes a good client. Please have some respect. Along with that is respecting boundaries. Understanding that your architect is not your servant and they have a life too. Being a good, decent, polite person will go a long way. To be a good client, you also have to be able to make decisions and stick to them. There are tons of decisions that have to be made in the duration of a project, and your architect will help you along the way. But every decision that gets overthought or any time you change your mind, that means people, either your architect or your engineer or your contractor, has to do work over again, and nobody wants to do work a second time if they can avoid it. A good client should also know that they cannot always get what they want. Sometimes there are budget constraints, site constraints, environmental constraints, building codes that need to be complied with, zoning ordinances that need to be complied with, contextual influences that must be addressed. A good architect will negotiate these constraints and a good client realizes that not all their hopes and dreams will come true. Good architecture must address life safety. Many outside the profession don't know this or maybe don't even consider this, 
but one of the primary jobs of an architect is life safety and to protect the lives of people who are inside of their buildings. This is just as true for single-family houses as it is for skyscrapers, stadiums, or museums. Architects don't just wear black and draw pretty pictures. They have to be primarily concerned with life safety. And the first aspect of life safety is the structure. I mean, I think it goes without saying, but if a building is not structurally sound, then it cannot be considered good. But structural loads are not just limited to the vertical forces from people and the objects that are within the house or the building. There are horizontal loads. There are twisting loads from wind and seismic. There are loads against the foundation from the earth that's backfilled against it or from hydrostatic pressure and many others. There's a protection against fire and that if your house or building catches on fire that the people inside have the ability to and the time to get out. There's the protection against dangerous situations where people could trip and fall. There are health concerns that include indoor air quality, fresh air exchange, and the chemicals that off-gas from the fixtures and finishes that are used in your house. Good architecture must be energy efficient and sustainable. To me, this is more than greenwashing and applying products to your house or your building. If you just slap up some photovoltaic panels and call your building green, well, that's not what I'm talking about. And if you've ever heard someone say, what can we add to go green? Or what can we add to this building to make it green? Then you or the people who are set, who said that are missing the point. Sustainable design is a holistic approach that goes from how the building is orientated to the materials that are used to the systems that are implemented and to the details on how the house or building is constructed. Sustainable design applies to the building sciences. By understanding how buildings function within an environment and within the localized climate and designing the envelope accordingly. Any house or building that's built to a code minimum cannot be considered good architecture in my opinion. We should strive to create buildings that use minimal natural resources. We should strive to create buildings that use minimal resources for heating and cooling, which in turn will lower the operating cost for the owner, which will save you money. Yes, there's technologies that make buildings operate more efficient, but I think some of the best ways to obtain a balance between the physical and the natural environment are some of the simpler, more common sense approaches. Good architecture needs to have a longevity to it. And when I speak of longevity, I mean both durability and appreciation. For durability, a building and the materials used need to be able to last. There also needs to be good craftsmanship in how the building is put together and good details to make sure that that your building envelope is functioning correctly. And for appreciation, it must be more than an immediate response. If a design is too dependent on whatever trend is fashionable without anything else to make it good, then be sure that in 10 or 20 years, when it's dated and out of style, you won't be thinking of it as good design anymore. Good design needs to be accessible, both physically accessible and obtainable. First, good design should not be available to only some. I don't like the idea that good architecture is only for the wealthy. 
Yes, you need to build within your personal budget, but even those projects who have the smallest budget can be good architecture if it implements the things that are on this list. And for physically accessible, especially for any building that's open to the public, a building needs to be accommodating to the people of all abilities and those with disabilities. And accessibility shouldn't be an afterthought, but should be engaged throughout the design process and thought of from the beginning. I want to move past the idea of adding an accessible ramp off to the side for people bound to a wheelchair. The experience and the sequence of entering into a building needs to be the same if you're physically able or if you're not physically able. It needs to be the same for everyone. And I know some of you out there that are not part of the architecture community might not understand the process of sequence and entry into a building and how important that is. So as an example, let's discuss Walt Disney World. For anyone who has not been, part of the experience of going to Disney and going on the rides and attractions is what happens in the line. The things that the the Disney designers build into the queue line set the stage for the attraction and are often just as memorable. That doesn't mean that people like standing in lines, but if you think about some of the rides and attractions and think about all the things that are incorporated, imagine if everyone in your family got to experience that, but your grandmother who is in a wheelchair didn't get to see any of it because she has to go around back and take the wheelchair ramp from the alley. And luckily that doesn't happen happen in Disney. They build and plan to be inclusive for everyone and a good piece of architecture should do the same. Good architecture should be contextual. It should relate to the site. Good architecture needs to respond to its context. And this is just as true for urban projects as it is for rural projects. Relating to the environment and what is happening around is critical. This doesn't mean that conformity is required, though. A good piece of architecture could also contrast or challenge its context, but it should not be indifferent to it. So this includes orientation, approach, environmental considerations. Where is the sunlight coming from? Where are the prevailing winds? Where are the views both into and out of the sites? Are there any constraints? Are there any opportunities? Is there something that exists on the site that makes that place meaningful? The essence of a place that can be used to inform the design? Or is your house or building just something generic that's plopped down anywhere without any consideration? I hope you can all see the difference. Good architecture should be beautiful or aesthetically pleasing. And as I mentioned in the beginning, style and beauty are subjective. There is just as much beauty in a piece of brutalist architecture as there is in a piece of classical architecture as there is in a in a modern farmhouse there they all can have beautiful or aesthetic qualities to them now there are pros and cons for all the different architectural styles and applications and I'm not going to get into that that here because I love working on a piece of historical architecture just as much as I love designing a piece of modern architecture So, but we should always be asking the question of what is appropriate. And part of this this conversation on beauty is in regards to scale and proportion. It's disappointing to see a house or a building that disregards scale and disregards proportion 
in the design. These are two of the most basic elements of good design. And those who don't consider scale and proportion, I would argue, are clients who are only concerned about bottom line costs or architects that are only concerned about cranking out the drawings and moving on to the next project or an architect that primarily works only in floor plan and designing the floor plan without consideration of how it affects the elevation or the section. So this gets into the conversation though of architect versus drafter and an experienced drafter can certainly lay out a floor plan, but do they have the training and ability to create something more? Good clients, keep this in mind for your project. Johnny Drafter down the street may only want to charge you $2,000 to draw up your floor plan while the experienced licensed architect might cost you $10,000 for the same house. Now that extra money is getting you a lot more services than what Johnny Drafter is giving you. Maybe I'll dedicate a future episode to some of the differences in services that a licensed architect can provide versus Johnny Drafter. But just know that if you're looking for the cheapest possible option for the person who will be designing your house, then you're going to get what you pay for. Some of the subsets of scale and proportion are order and hierarchy. Jeffrey Scott, an architect, once wrote in The Architecture of Humanism that order in architecture enables us to interpret what we see with greater readiness. It renders form intelligible by making it coherent. It satisfies the desire of the mind and it humanizes architecture. Now, order can be seen in symmetry or asymmetry. It can be seen in balance and repetition. It can be seen in organizational or structural elements or through the perception of the space. And when I talk about space, I mean the volume of a place, not outer space. And hierarchy allows our minds to understand what is most important and what is least important. Hierarchy can be used to dictate a building's form or to give entry sequence or even wayfinding through a place. Clarity is inherent in any discussion on aesthetics or beauty. If something becomes too busy or too confusing, it ceases to be good. And, you know, there are times for big gestures. There are times for the big architectural moment. And there are times when a building should be more modest. Within beauty, there needs to be an architectural language about how the spaces and the forms and the materials come together and how these different materials work with each other or how these different materials are joined together. In good architecture, these things are thought out. In poor architecture, they are arbitrary. And just know that if you build anything fake, you're out. Good architecture needs to be functional. The function or the use of what a building would be used for must be considered in the design. If a space is too large or too small or too warm or too light or too dark, so on and so forth, for that activity that will be taking place within it, then it cannot be considered good. This must be thought of for the building as a whole as well as the individual spaces. And I like to talk about this in terms of performance programming. And if you haven't listened to an earlier episode of the Home Design Academy podcast where I talked about performance programming and how to get started, why don't you go back and listen to that now? So performance programming documents 
and evaluates the use and the qualities for each space within your house or building, how you live, how you work, how your employees will use the space, how your customers will feel walking through the door, what is seen, what is heard, so on and so forth. With function, there's also consideration of scale and proportions and order and structure. Even in commercial buildings, think of the difference between an assembly line for automobiles versus the kitchen at a fast food restaurant. Both of these need different types of spaces and everything that you do or anything that anyone else does in your home or building needs to be accounted for. Good architecture needs to be adaptable. A building will often outlive its original use or its original program and at some point down the line it will need to be adapted to fit the evolving ways of living and working. Good design will have some flexibility to allow for this change. And then finally I think good architecture must tell a story. Architect Tadeo Ando has said that a building does not become a piece of architecture until the people are using it. Just think, without people it's just an empty building. And there's ways to create that story, to create that narrative of how the people will be using the building or living in the building and have that be a driver of the design. And if all of this seems a bit overwhelming, then you're right, it can be. But this is also why you hire a licensed architect, a person who is educated and trained and experienced to help guide you through this process. And finally, I'm going to leave you with a quote from Italian architect Carlo Scarpa. If the architecture is any good, a person who looks and listens will feel its good effects without noticing. up another episode of the home design academy podcast i hope you've learned something and enjoyed yourself along the way make sure you subscribe and leave a review on your podcast player of choice visit n3architecture.com for more information and please submit your your questions to home design academy at n3architecture.com that's home design academy at n3architecture.com thank you and goodbye